What's going on, everyone? Josh White here. Welcome to a very special episode of the Hero Front Podcast. In this EOD Memorial Special, we have not one, not two, but three captivating episodes lined up for you. Prepare to be moved, inspired, and enlightened as we delve into the remarkable world of explosive ordnance disposal, otherwise known as EOD technicians. Every year on the first Saturday in May, the EOD Memorial Ceremony is held to commemorate fallen EOD technicians to recognize and preserve the legacy of the service and sacrifice of our fallen warriors and their families. This is the event that I attended this year and the following episodes you're going to hear were all recorded at this very special event. So join us as we sit down with a diverse range of guests all intimately connected to the EOD community. In our first episode, we have the honor of speaking with Stephen O'Donnell, an Army and Marine Corps EOD veteran and the proud owner of the Master Blaster Coffee Company. Stephen, also known as The Push-Up Guy, shares his powerful story and sheds light on the challenges faced by White Star Widow, Mrs. Joanne Nelson. You see, Stephen is going to start bringing one White Star member every year. He's going to sponsor one. And this is his way to show these families that they are not forgotten. You see, Joanne tragically lost her husband to suicide. And we dive deep into her journey since that painful event that disrupted her life at that time and how she has gotten through that the tools that she learned we go we go deep y'all and i gotta give a shout out to joanne for being so transparent uh and i was really humbled to see everyone kind of surround her and show her that love and show her that she still has this eod family it was it was actually very touching in the second installment of our EOD Memorial Special, we introduce you to Mario Kovash, an EOD veteran and co-creator of the groundbreaking initiative, Project Felix. Discover how this innovative project is revolutionizing the EOD landscape and making a profound impact on the lives of those involved. Their mission is to cultivate dialogue within the military community and beyond. First responders, firefighters, police, there's a lot of amazing folks coming together and supporting each other, and it's all happening at Project Felix. Finally, in our third and last EOD episode of the Memorial Series, we have the privilege of hearing from Carlos Sanchez, a Chief Master Sergeant currently serving as a Legislative Fellow in Washington, D.C., Gain a unique perspective on the intersection of military service and legislative affairs as Carlos shares his experiences and sheds light on the vital role played by the Department of Defense Legislative Fellowship Program. Throughout these three episodes, we explore an array of compelling topics, leaving no stone unturned. From the significance of the EOD Memorial and the distinction between PTSD and PTSI to the heartbreaking reality of losing a loved one to suicide and the alarming 22-a-day crisis, we delve deep into the challenges faced by the EOD community. Moreover, we touch on crucial subjects such as transitioning out of the military, post-traumatic growth, and the quest for identity and purpose. 
Prepare to be astounded by the unwavering camaraderie and support within the EOD community. These incredible guests embody the very essence of what the military represents as they selflessly devote themselves to the safety of others and the success of their missions. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and enlightened as we embark on this extraordinary journey together. I also want to give a special shout out to Chief Heath Temple for extending the invitation to me. And another huge shout out to Jason Umlaw for orchestrating these captivating interviews. Don't miss out on this EOD Memorial Special where you'll witness the power of resilience, courage, and unity in the face of unimaginable challenges. Let's get after it. By the way, I love your tattoos. Like That is such a creative... Is that a Master Blaster? Yeah, that's the Master EOD badge. Dang, that's beautiful, man. And then Thanks. you got the names there. Who, who are those names? Uh, 20 Air Force EOD techs that were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, my God. And, and then you so. memorialize them on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, they were, uh, they were kind of placed there randomly. I had the font model after the font of the uh, tombstones in Arlington. So... I, uh, I had the badge done there first, and then uh, like a year or two later, I always wanted to, to have something memorializing the names of all those that we lost in, in those conflicts, and I figured having their names surrounding the badge was kind of a nice way. And then the way I did it, it's, it looks random, uh, but there's a couple names that are together, and the teams that were killed together they're together like team lima is right here and then team tripwire is right here and then soulsby and hamsky are together right there so oh wow that was the idea yeah that's pretty uh, you know it's been just so inspiring seeing y'all's community today and just getting to learn about it um because i've been in maintenance and i've been in in medical um and i've been in honor guard but like y'all's community is like next level connected you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, to be honest, with everyone knowing each other, the, the support, the love. I mean, the people that I've talked to today, what it means to you, the purpose that it gives you. It's just it's just it's touched my heart, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's um, it's been an honor to be a part of the community, you know, while active duty and then afterwards. Um there's something to be said about a group of people that are willing to uh, put themselves out there and protect other people, life, limb, and property, um, and basically risk it all. Um, to me, that's the epitome of love, and that's why we do it, and that love kind of permeates within the community. I mean, especially such a small-knit community, you know, whether it be even, you know, active duty, retired, it's just, you're part of it, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's been an honor, you know, Definitely. I, it's just, it, it, it's really something, a big part of my identity for a while, you Absolutely. know, so. So we're talking to Master Sergeant Retired Mario Kovac, did I pronounce it right? Kovac, Kovac, Mario how do you pronounce it? Kovac. Kovac. Mario Kovac. And you came here, you drove down from New York? <laughs> My man. Yeah, the Finger Lake region of New York, it was a little over 19 hours. 
dang, man, you drove down that whole coast just straight down to Florida. Yeah. That's wild, man. And you do that every year. Yeah, I do it pretty much every year. Um, I don't, I'm, we're, we're homesteaders, so I don't get out much. So this is kind of like my trip across a part of the country. I like, I spent so much time being in airplanes, you know, going here and there. I like kind of spending time on the ground and kind of getting a feel of the pulse of the country and the states where I'm going through. Like, and I just pay attention to the culture. I pay attention, the bumper stickers, the flags, all that stuff, just to get a feel for what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't make the drive yourself, you'd never see that stuff. You'd just never see it. And you see different parts of the country. I mean, you know, through PCSing, which is always one of my favorite parts of PCSing, is just that. It's the driving through the countryside, making all the random pit stops with your family, you know, taking leave and route and, you know, spending an extra time in this city or that city. And it's such a cool experience that most people never get to experience. Um, and so I, I think that's really cool that you kind of bring it back down to, to earth, literally. And you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And you make that drive. It's probably therapeutic time that you got, too. It's time to think, time to reflect, time to listen to the songs that you haven't listened to in a while. Um, no, I think that's really cool, man. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, I really look at it as an opportunity to, to kind of, uh, like you said, reflect. Uh, I've gotten into audiobooks quite a bit. So, you know, I always look forward to road trips because that's when I can really make some progress in some audiobooks. And, you know, I do conventional reading, you know, old school books and stuff. But for me, I think my brain works a little better where I absorb things through an audio format, like podcasts, for example. Like, I, I tend to absorb information pretty well through that means. I'm the same way. Thank God for Audible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I... I, I was embarrassed by how much I wasn't reading, but then on Audible, that stepped my reading game up, you know, astronomically, uh, because that's more my style. I'm, I'm right there with you, because I like to mow the lawn and listen to something, or do the dishes, or wash my dog. Like, I like to do those types of things while listening, um, and I get a lot done, plus I'm learning something. You know, I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, so I was hoping, you know, before I, I, I put you through the hero's gauntlet, which is three random questions that I have for you, before we start that, I was hoping you could give us a brief background on your career. Sure. Uh, I came in the Air Force in 1998. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and uh, I ended up doing 20 years and three months in the Air Force. I was active duty the whole time, EOD. Um, I came in... I'm one of the, I, I refer to myself as a hybrid because I came in before 9-11 in a career field that shifted significantly when 9-11 happened. Um, I also went through the school, half of it was here in Florida. The second half was where the original schoolhouse was up in Indian Head in Maryland. So I was the third to last class to graduate from Indian Head. By the way, I was raised in Waldorf. Oh, so yeah, I'm very familiar with Indian Head, and I did not know that was the OG like spot for you guys. Yeah, um, and it's since changed since then, and so you were one of the last Indian Head yes students essentially. Yes, uh, I have what's called what's unofficially referred to as a Charles County crab. <laughs> 
I love that. <laughs> I love that because they love crab, so like it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, I did that, and I was stationed at you know Minot, Osan. I went to Italy for a little bit. That's where I met my wife. She was prior ammo, so we met and got married there. Uh, Arizona for a couple years, then England, and then retired out of uh, McGuire. So, oh wow! You 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 got some exploring done in your time then. Yeah, yeah. We we I didn't I didn't stay in a, a spot for too long. I was kind of bouncing around, seeing a bit of the world and all that stuff. And did uh, five deployments total: uh, three combat tours, two to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. And then uh, one of them was an interesting one. It was. Um, starting a program in germany called the deployment transition center i don't know if you've ever heard of that Mm -mm. um it was a program uh designed to um basically give people a pit stop for two days coming back from combat back to home oh wow okay because you know that is interesting you could you could literally be in combat you know on a mission and then 24 hours later you're at home in front of your family and seeing a child that you haven't even met yet right yeah so, that could be pretty jarring yeah so that's i was part of that effort that stood up for i think a couple years so i don't know if it's still a thing now but wow so yeah you've had quite the career and your your wife was you said ammo yeah she was ammo is that ayayas is that what they yeah. <laughs> yes if you ain't ammo you ain't yeah yeah it's something all right right <laughs> yeah so she did she did five years um you know we got to a point where we decided to have a family and we didn't want to raise a family when we were high-fiving each other in the airport you know the deployment tempo was was pretty high and um she she took one for the team she she made staff her first time but she was like I'll take one for the team and she got out after our child was born first child was born and um that's how we made family life work during oif and oef right so and now you're retired how many kids do you have two you have two kiddos and you're in new york now yep how'd that happen so my wife is originally from new york and um the place where we ended up right now was where she was born and raised. Oh, wow. So when uh, it came time to retire, uh, her parents were looking to downsize. So things kind of lined up where we were able to purchase the place. Um, There's a bit of land with it. So um, my in-laws set aside a few acres for themselves and then took some time to build their new home. And then we took over the old place. Wow. So, so she went back to the roots, like literally. She went, oh yeah, she went back to the roots, you know, that's, uh, the place we have is a bit of land and creeks and animals and stuff, like we're, we're semi-homesteaders now, so, um, you know, we, uh, we cut, split, and stack all our own firewood, we oh, heat wow. the house with just a fireplace, uh, you know, we've got electric heaters, we just don't use them. Right. Um, gardening, animals, goats, chickens. Dude, I love that. Um, yeah, so living off the land. We are, you know, it's it's not completely off it, you know, it's supplementary, um, but to have that capability means a lot to us, you know, especially with, you know, geopolitical stuff in the last couple of years. It's like, 
we have the ability to be dependent on ourselves and our own capabilities. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and most people, including myself, can't say that. So hats off to you. Hopefully you. I get there one day. Yeah. So, Mario, thanks for taking it back, letting us know about your career, your wife's career, um, and where you're at today. And so for the Heroes Gauntlet, it's three questions that we're going to go through before we start on the topics that you've selected. So the first question I have for you is, if you were to give a piece of advice to the, I'm talking Airman A1C Mario, I'm talking way back in the day, if you could just future you could help him by giving him a little piece of information or a little tip from the future, what would you tell that young Mario? That's really hard to nail down to just one thing. Um, I would say give yourself some grace. Um, it's not if you make a mistake, it's when you make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, which is inevitable, how are you going to respond to that? Or are you going to react negatively to it? So give yourself some grace when you come in the military. Find people who seem like they're grounded, they're well-respected, and learn about followership. Learn to follow them and kind of pick some things that maybe resonate with you. You may not get it right all the time and you're going to fall down. But picking yourself back up and moving forward is probably one of the most critical things to when you first come in the military. Definitely. Were you hypercritical on yourself when you first joined? No, I was the exact opposite. Oh, really? Yeah, I was I was all windshield and no rear view mirrors. Oh, wow. How'd that work out? Uh, I made a lot of really big mistakes early on. Really? And uh, if it wasn't for the guidance and love of a few critical supervisors, I probably wouldn't have been able to do a career in the military. Wow. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I was, I was uh, maintenance when I first joined, which is a little bit more forgiving. I'm medical now, which is not forgiving. Um, but when I was maintenance, my first base, whew, barely. I was in Guam. The drinking age was 18. They've since changed it because of probably me <laughs> and my shenanigans but I'm right, I know exactly what you mean you got if it wasn't for those people who saw something in you that you didn't see yourself you know you wouldn't be here today you know you would never have made it out of that assignment it could have easily went the other way yeah so my second question to you is who which supervisor in your life has had the biggest impact on you so there's two um one is uh, Bill Eaton, and uh, he was one of my first two supervisors at my first duty location. And uh, he was uh, very uh, compassionate towards me. Uh, I think he could see that uh, I didn't have the best interpersonal skills and didn't really understand the, the intricacies of life and, and how to navigate you know a lot of the the interpersonal stuff and uh, just how to people well and uh, I guess he saw the intent in me and kind of helped cultivate that 
and he became a long-time mentor, and even to this day, you know, he's, I consider him family. And the other one is on my arm, Brad Clemens. Uh, he was at the same place. He was my first direct supervisor as well. I kind of had two. And uh, one of the big, most important things that I got from Brad was become technically proficient at your role before anything else, like before ancillary programs or managing or anything. And so he was the one that was like, get out into the equipment, learn the equipment, every piece of equipment you need to know in and out so that your team leader can depend on your capabilities on an operation. Like it was the, the level of prioritization and all that stuff, what's important at the end of the day, I got from him. And that mentality is what helped me get through all those deployments, all those operations, and kind of knowing what's important and what's less important. Yeah, you don't often have someone telling you how to rack and stack. I mean, there's a million things you could be involved with. It, you know, what this organization, that organization, you know, this opportunity, school, like, yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, where do I start? How do I rack and stack these things? Um, but at the end of the day, he taught you how to, to be a dependable follower, which you got to know how to be a follower first before you can be a leader. And part of being a follower is being dependent on by those leaders, right? And having those basics just dialed in. Um, you know, I assume if he's on your arm, he's since passed away. Yeah, he was killed in uh, Iraq. Oh. Um. 2006 August of 2006 I think he was killed in Iraq and um, yeah that 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 was a tough one um, his vehicle got hit by an IED and uh, I was in between pre-deployment training ready to uh, head out to Iraq myself and um, it's it's tough to to take a hit like that when you're getting ready to do your own you know your own version of it you're getting ready to go over there and and be part of a team to do the same stuff so it's like i wanted to be there for the family and the uh the funeral and all that stuff but i couldn't i had to go continue through pre-deployment training and get put that stuff off to the side and get ready to get down to business and that's that's a small example of quite a few examples that you know things like that go down you kind of got to compartmentalize it so that you can keep moving forward right so that'd be my third question for you is you know you've been put in some pretty you know sketchy situations i would assume and especially being you know an airman who you're someone you looked up to a mentor of yours passed away someone who had a much higher skill level than you at that time, right? So that had to have been terrifying for you to think, well, if that happened to this guy, well, then wh how am I going to do in this environment? So my, my last question to you would be, how did you mentally get through those insanely terrifying and difficult times? So I think earlier in my career, uh, I was quite naive 
and again, more of that windshield versus uh, no rear view mirrors, so to speak. So some of that was uh, that concern and that fear was there, but uh, it wasn't so much in, in, the, in the forefront of my mind. And as, as the deployments went on and as we started getting more people hurt, more people killed, things started to sink in more and more, the severity of the, um, the potential catastrophic consequences of one's actions. The gravity of it sinks in over a longer period of time. So how to, how to overcome it? That was basically training as well as I could, absorbing as much as I could from as many people as I could, but knowing that my intent was always to prevent damage to people and property and to preserve and protect life. That was kind of where I would always come back to. And that's still what I come back to to this day is like, I have this drive to protect life. Like it's, I don't so know, that it's a calling, mantra, but. Yeah, I mean, it, that makes perfect sense. That's your purpose, that's your calling. That gave you the courage to get past whatever was holding you back or giving you fear to, to go forward. That higher calling fired you up to get past all that. That, like you would that, that was like your true north on your compass yeah. you know you stuck to that true north yeah that was it was a direction that was always within me it may have been less clear at times but it was a direction that I was always I had to go fear was always present varying degrees of fear were always present but I was never really the type of person to let a certain amount of fear prevent action and forward momentum. Right. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Mario. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah. All right, we're going to hit your... You, you passed the Heroes Gauntlet. You did phenomenal. <laughs> You're killing it. Uh, and we're going to get into the topics that you selected. We're going to talk about Project Felix, which I don't know anything about. This is going to be completely new to me. We're going to talk about post-traumatic growth and how identity and purpose tie into post-traumatic growth. So let's start with Project Felix. You know, as someone who has no idea what that is, what is Project Felix? So Project Felix is an idea that started unofficially probably four or five years ago, but officially about three. Um, if I were to give a sales pitch, I would say that it is a grassroots effort designed to cultivate dialogue within the military community and beyond. Kind of like this big lofty idea. And in essence, it is this large lofty idea. Um, but what it is, is it's essentially a peer-to-peer -peer grassroots effort where we started doing these um, like virtual veterans circles. Like you know from uh, I reference pop culture a lot, so um, in Captain America 2, there's the part where, um, uh, what's the Falcon, he's, he's hosting a uh, like veterans circle and stuff, right? Right, right. Kind of like a throwback to the old school days of like World War II and Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Well, because of my experience at the DTC facilitating discussions and stuff, 
I saw a need, especially when COVID hit, to do a virtual version of that. So that's what we've been doing to this day. We did one just last week because we were going to be down here. Um, but we do every two weeks, we do an open, non-recorded virtual forum. People come and go as they please. They can stay as little and as long as they want. No, no huge um, guidance or anything like that. It's all peer-to-peer. -peer. And the way I kind of look at it is, if you feel like you're carrying something in your rucksack that may not be serving you well right now as it did before, if you want to work with some people to maybe help help you take it off and inventory it and seeing if you really do need to put that back in and maybe some modalities that can help you put the rucksack back on and continue moving forward. Um, to say it would be interdisciplinary or multimodal, uh, would be an understatement. Um, it's based off of, you know, I'm not a social worker, you know, I'm just a knuckle dragon EOD tech, um, retired. <laughs> um, but we have learned a lot, you know, with the experiences, and we just want to help pick other people up. We've also, we did recordings, and we have a YouTube channel. You can look up Project Felix, and what we do is we'll, we'll take like a concept that we think resonates with our group or people that we think are, are struggling, like um, this idea of impermanence or a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset or, um, you know, the analogy of the windshield in the rearview mirror. Um, we'll, we'll do a deep dive or we'll discuss some of those things and get people's perspectives and their own takes on how it applies to them. And this isn't one of those things where we just want to hear ourselves talk like we don't want our own echo chamber. Like it started off with EOD people, but basically these concepts apply to, to veterans and military and people in general. You know, how to, how to maybe help yourself reframe trauma or struggle or hardship so that you can not only white knuckle things, but you can actually continue to thrive in life. Wow, that's amazing. <clears throat> where where is the the conversations actually happen? Did you say Facebook? Skype. Oh, it's, oh, it's over Skype. Yeah. Okay, so people you they yeah, how like like for me for instance, if I wanted to be involved and I wanted to to be a part of the talk, how could someone like me who's still serving get in on Project Felix? Yeah, so uh, we do have a Facebook page, uh, Project Felix. In fact, the sticker is on my uh, water bottle there that's our logo the felix is a throwback to uh, british eod and uh, i love the logo by the way <laughs> we uh will post the skype link on our facebook page a couple days before we do them once every two weeks we used to do them on sundays now somebody had the idea to do them on fridays so we have felix fridays now oh i like that yeah so and they'll They'll go one, two, four, six hours. Oh, wow. They are what they need to be. Right. If, if people are there, we'll keep it going. And there's there's very little structure to it. It's it's not an axe grinding thing. It's more of like a, a community and camaraderie and how can we help sharpen ourselves. 
And and remind me again, how long have, has this been going on? About three years, a little about over three, three years. Yeah, that's about how old my platform is. Too. So we we basically started around the yeah. same time. Um, what are some of the you know more memorable conversations or success stories that you've seen out come out of Project Felix? Um, there's there's been a couple. Um, however. You know, we've we were involved in um, unofficially in, in in a virtual intervention. A few people were concerned about somebody, and you know, we we were able to you know talk to a person to help them get to the right place and stuff. So, um, you know, we we have been um, kind of connecting the dots for some people, especially in the veteran community, because as soon as you leave active duty the amount of resources that you have on a daily basis they they shift significantly right it's like a snap of a finger it is you know where everything's structured the community's there and and then boom you're in civvies now you got a different id card and you start to lose that sense of community yeah yeah so we've we've played a part in kind of creating and fostering uh, a version of that on the veteran side um just a mechanism so that people know that it's there so that they're not alone yeah someone they can ask questions to i mean my god like you don't you don't know what you don't know so as you're going through it thoughts feelings questions things like that will start to come up and you'll be like who do i who do i talk to like i'm not at my base anymore (laughs) yeah (laughs) Like, like who who do i ask these questions to so i'm guessing a big part of that community is helping with that transition for people who are just kind of like trying to find their new life yeah yeah it's it's a lot of helping people fill in their own blanks you know it's not it's not a we have all the answers but it's like we can ask people that can maybe help you get answers and you know we've we've had a lot of really good conversations especially in our youtube channel you know um we like to use metaphors and analogies and stories, you know, from, you know, not just religion per se, but like spiritual stuff or, you know, um, like our second episode, for example, uh, we did, uh, uh, this this guy, Rabbi Twersky that talks about the analogy of the lobster and how it needs to cast off its shell once it needs to grow the stress and the stimulus for it to grow is that discomfort in the shell and how the lobster has to cast that off go behind a rock until it grows another shell well we incorporate things like that into the transition between active duty you know military service and then what comes after because i never thought of it that way but that's a a pretty amazing comparison of the lobster needing to take a knee essentially and, and figure out what, how am I going to grow, how am I going to build this new shell, but to also acknowledge that it's in a vulnerable state. Otherwise, it wouldn't be hiding. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't have your armor on indefinitely. You can't white-knuckle life indefinitely. It's not sustainable for the long term. So it's like, what does that look like? What does a productive knee, taking a knee look like? Right. It's... It's not drinking heavily. It's not substances. It's 
more healthy things that are sustainable over a long period of time. How has Project Felix helped you in your own life? Um, so this project was not designed to tell people how to do things. It was to showcase how we're working on ourselves and radiating that to other people. Like us being the example for ourselves. So, you know, there's this saying that everybody wants to ch change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. This is an aspect of changing ourselves and fortifying ourselves and then broadcasting it out. And that's what Project Felix has done for me in, in so many ways. It kind of showed me where I was lacking uh, my own unhealthy habits and my own unhealthy mindset. And uh, with the help of a lot of people, a lot of effort and time, I've been able to really fortify my own foundation for the long haul, more sustainable, better habits, and just uh, better well-being overall. Do you have any examples on the, the older you with the more unhealthy habits versus the you now and how you approach life? Yeah. Um, so alcohol... Alcohol was a thing, but it wasn't a huge issue. Um, substances, medical marijuana, I'm in New York State, so it is legal up there. Um, it was a thing for a little bit. But once you go down the rabbit hole and you ask yourself why, why is this habit taking place? And if you peel back the layers you'll get to an, at least I got to an answer that was, I all I'm doing is looking to anesthetize lower parts of my consciousness, guilt, shame, fear, anger, and anesthetizing that. Again, for me, not sustainable for the long haul. So. I mean, I've been there. I, I, I don't drink anymore. You know, it's been around four years for me since I even had a drink, but it had a grip on me for a, a better part of a decade. Um, and oh, that's a slippery slope. I mean, it just goes so fast and you get stuck in there, stuck in that world. Um, but then there's a whole nother battle when you stop doing those things, those real problems and the reasons behind it kind of start to reveal themselves. And you're like, ah, that's why I was drinking. Cause I didn't want to feel like this, this way. How did you get through that part? Um, Replacing unhealthy habits with more healthy habits. Um, for me, it started off uh, when I got back from Afghanistan and I started getting help from an operational psychologist. I learned, they, they taught me breathing techniques. So I started doing breathing techniques. Then I got into mindfulness and then meditation. And then uh, two years ago, a little over, yeah, two years ago, I learned uh, a practice called Transcendental Meditation. And I've been doing that for every day for almost two years now. And I credit the practice of meditation and being one of the most important ways of getting away from substances, from alcohol, from unhealthy habits overall. Wow. No, that's amazing. I'm, I'm just asking just because I, I want to know for myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always great to hear someone who's 
who's gone through it, um, who's on the other side and has some of that feedback. I think it's just really because sometimes the stuff you just never even think of, you know, a lot of the stuff you brought up, I've, I've never heard of. So it's, it's always uh, intriguing for me, you know, to ask those types of questions. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been down the medication route. Um, I've, I've been down the alcohol route and substances route and I get, I get the appeal. I get its role. Um, but I'm not at that place anymore. I'm not where I need to white knuckle things anymore. Sometimes people have to fall down repeatedly until they realize what they've been doing to continue forward isn't working. So they got to readjust and it's having, having the strength. And I don't mean like physical strength. I mean like mental fortitude or intestinal fortitude, whatever you want to call it to look within and analyze what is working, what is not and shift accordingly. I feel like that's one of the hardest things we can do is look in the mirror and be like, this isn't working. Why am I doing this? Why am I in this cycle? And to search for those answers, that's that's tough. That's a tough, tough spot to be at. And like you said, it sometimes it takes that repeated, you know, falling down flat on your face until you finally have the courage, strength, or whatever you want to call it to look yourself in the mirror and face some of those hard realities. Yeah, yeah, there's... There are resources out there that can help. Um, you know, the whole Project Felix uh, thing is is a way to at least raise people's awareness of those things. You know, uh, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the concept of post-traumatic growth. Um, it's not original from us. It's actually a science. Um, I talk about uh, the book Struggle Well. Um, that's done by Ken Falk and Josh Goldberg. Jo- uh, excuse me, Ken Falk is a retired Navy EOD Master Chief. Oh wow! And uh, he's the one of the guys that started uh, looking into this stuff and found out that hey, post traumatic growth, like it's an actual thing. Like based off of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Turns out it's true. And the example I'll, I'll throw at you is. Uh, the prisoners of the Hanoi Hilton. Okay. You know probably all the atrocities that they went through. When they came back, they studied them and they compared their rates of PTSD and depression and anxiety as opposed to those veterans who were not in the Hanoi Hilton and they were actually less. How is that possible? It's because of they found a way to not only survive through their experiences but actually to grow from them and to be stronger they were more fortified because of it you know i got that i was just in israel for an exercise and uh which is where i got this sweet tattoo yeah i was was noticing that (laughs) um but i i kind of had that vibe from them like they have they have what's called the Iron Dome, which you may be familiar with, where they're protecting themselves with missiles from missiles. But they're always there's always this loom of war wherever you go in Israel. They're surrounded on all sides by enemies. Everyone wants their land. It has the best sea routes, the best air routes, the best land routes. It's got precious gems. It's it's the holy land for many religions. But they're in this constant state of attack and war. 
And I was, and, and I couldn't believe how resilient these people were, how tough they were. And I was thinking if we went through that, you know, I don't know if we would, if, if we had to deal with what they deal with for one day, we would probably lose our minds. You know, we'd be like, this is unacceptable. But they live with it day in and day out, and they've somehow become stronger for it. Yeah, it, it sounds like what you're talking about is is stress. And I talk about stress in a way that isn't common. And I look at stress as two-faced. There's eustress and there's distress. Distress is stress or that stimulus that causes negative reactions or is not productive to the individual. That's like you know, constantly being shelled and stuff and constantly being fear for your life. You stress is the type of stress of if I don't get myself up out of bed and go to this job on time, I may not have a job and be able to afford to feed my family. That's you stress. And there's this idea that if we just get rid of all of our stress, that life will be peachy. And that's not what these concepts are saying. So it's just like a balance of you stress and distress. And that's like, I couldn't help but think about what you were talking about with Israel. It's like, it sucks, you know, to have to defend yourself like that. But there is a flip side to that. Well, you know, yeah, there's a there's a you can you can decide what to do with it sometimes. And, you know, with the you stress, it's funneling it in a way that makes you better. It's it's accepting that it's there. There's nothing you can do about it. It exists. It's not going anywhere. It can either shape you or break you. You could funnel it to. It's kind of like fight or flight. Yeah. You know, are are you going to fight or are you going to go with flight? Flight could be. I'm not getting out of bed, and we've all been there. You know, I can't physically get out of bed today. That's when we're retreating. I feel like that's the worst feeling on planet earth in my opinion is when you're in that state and then on the flip side it's using that stress as you stress like you said where you choosing to fight you're choosing to act and make things better because of that looming stressful environment whatever that may be yeah yeah i mean i i would look at you know your own hero front podcast for example you know i can probably name a couple things that fall under you stress that are are positive stressors for you to do well at what you're doing right now. Like you want to make sure that you do it right. So you make sure your equipment is good to go. You have your notes ready. You're showing up on time. Those are all like good parts of stress. It's not all bad. No, you're, that's, that's an excellent point. That's an outstanding point. And then, you know, when you, you, when you work for something like that, you know, even if it was a bit stressful, when you work for something, that's how you grow. You know what I mean? Like me and you, we're going to be better after this conversation than we were without it. Agreed. Because we chose to show up. We chose to, to be vulnerable. We chose to to look in ourselves and find some truths that we may not have otherwise ever even thought about. And we'll be better for it. So in a way, those stressful environments kind of shape us. It kind of allows us to grow and think through things. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, 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 there are so many examples in our daily lives where, you know, you, you have these things of, of you stress, like, 
take a tree for example if the tree was in a completely sterile environment with no wind blowing up against it its roots probably wouldn't be able to hold it as well as with a tree that's constantly you know being hit with you know wind this way and wind that way and stuff similarly to the analogy of like you know a captain of a ship in calm waters you know you're not tested I want a captain of the ship that knows a thing or two they've been through a thing or two I mean there's examples everywhere we look of you stress absolutely and that kind of brings us into um, the last topic we're going to hit on which is post-traumatic growth and how identity and purpose tie into post-traumatic growth so when you hear that term and you touched on it a little bit but when you hear that term you know what comes to mind what comes to mind is the the idea that we are not relegated to uh, traumatic experiences. We're not in that box. That if I ne I almost rarely use the term PTSD, just because I don't like being in a box or being put in a box with that label, because that fits well. It fits a narrative. And we think that we're relegated to that and that's it and that's that. There is an idea, and it's more than an idea, it's a science and it's verified, that when you go through things, trauma, hardship, and you're able to get through the other side and use your rear view mirrors not to live and stay in the past, but to learn from it objectively so that you can move forward and look at the windshield in a much clearer way. That's what post-traumatic growth is. It's not learning how to just endure life and continue white-knuckling, but it's learning how to actually thrive and grow and be continue to become a better version of yourself. And where identity comes in, people can, when they get out of the military, if they've, you know, like me, we had a pretty decent career, you know, we accomplished stuff. It's easy to rest on that previous identity and to rest on those laurels and kind of live and be stuck in the past. And so that when life moves forward and you just want to hold on to that, how things were, the present gets harder and harder and harder. So, you know, being able to use that rearward lens not to stay there, but to learn and to grow from it. No, I mean, I've been there, man. Um, <clears throat> case in point, my last assignment, everything was everything went exactly how I would ever hope an assignment could go. You know, things falling in my lap, challenges become successes, all the, all the things, all best friends I ever made, etc. And then my experience here has been the opposite. Nothing but challenges. And I realized real quickly that you know, my reputation that I had at my last assignment didn't get me anywhere at the new one. And I didn't realize how much I was relying on that reputation to open doors, open opportunities. And I had a really hard time starting over. Um, do you have any advice for someone like me who is struggling with that change? You know, was, was there a different way to approach it? Something that you've been through? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I, 
don't really know how to answer that. There's there's a lot of different things I would say. Um, just because it worked one way sometime before doesn't mean that that is the way for every single thing in the present and the future, like moving forward. So if you hit a wall where previously you could just jump over to go around easily, how you did it before doesn't work now. Well, how do I get past this obstacle now? I'm going to look to my left and to my right. I'm going to look at my peers and going to be like, hey man, did you encounter this? Did you encounter that? How did you get through that? I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to be like, oh, I didn't think about that. Let me try it. You know, so I would say maybe the underlying theme would be be humble and, and show humility and be willing to learn. Figure out what it is that you don't know and kind of defeat your own ignorance if it's there. You know, and I don't mean ignorance with a negative connotation. I mean, we're always constantly learning, right? Mm -hmm. And if we come across an obstacle that what we're used to isn't working, do I just stop? Do I just sit here and get mad and suffer? Or do I figure out another way to move forward? Right, which a lot of that is being humble. And, and that's a hard thing to accept sometimes that, hey, I don't have the answer for this. I need to ask someone help. That's that's a hard, you know, hill to get over sometimes. It is. It is. And sometimes looking to the person that you've seen ask for help, sometimes they're actually setting the example. I would say that's what I did for myself when I was struggling. I found a person who... I had heard they were getting themselves help, and so I just talked to them on the down law. I was like, hey, I'm going through this. This doesn't feel right. What do you think? Like, it's, it's that giving yourself the space to be vulnerable, going back to the lobster thing, say, hey, how do I, this is this stress that's happening. How do I get through this? And it's like, oh, well, did you think about this or that? Oh, no, I haven't. Let me, let me go try that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I think that's beautiful, man. All right, Mario, that brings us to the uh, last few things I want to hear your thoughts on towards the end here, which is identity and purpose. Those are two things that are huge to me, especially purpose. um, Because, you know, if you've never felt it before, but then you finally do find it, I feel like that's a gift. It's such a gift to to feel the purpose because without it, you're just floating. You're just you're just letting the the wind take you wherever, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. And that <laughs> lack of control over your life or even which direction to take is painful. So I think you know having a solid identity and knowing your purpose, feeling it is such a gift. And uh, so I have, I have a lot to say about it. But you put it down here, so obviously you have a, some strong <laughs> thoughts on it too. So what is your thoughts on identity and purpose? Um, so I use the analogy of wearing different hats for identity. Um, when I was in the military, the hats I wore, um, I was an EOD tech. I, it's funny. We always say EOD tech first before an airman. It's, it's the craziest thing. It might be an ego thing, but, you know, I was an airman. I was an EOD tech. You know, I was whatever rank I was. I was a team member. I was a team leader. 
I was a you know section chief or whatever. I was also a husband. I was also a father. Um, lots of different hats. Lots of different hats and stuff. And so I kind of look at those as 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 different hats that we wear, different facets of our identity. And in this analogy, you can wear multiple hats at once. I bring identity up is because I think when some people retire or separate, they're stuck with that identity still wearing those hats. They still identify as I am, I was this person, and I still am. Sometimes it's a literal hat. It's the same hat that they wore. It'll be their rank or whatever. And I'm not saying you can't honor your service and stuff, but I think for some people that is that stays their identity for a long time. There is something underneath that wears those hats. And so if you can boil down the what you are underneath all those hats and whatever it looks like to you, that's where purpose comes in. And I think purpose can help you figure out your core identity so that you can move forward. But again, it's giving yourself the space and the latitude to go down those rabbit holes and to really boil down what makes you tick. You know, I, I worked with a bunch of different people uh, to kind of help me boil down my purpose. You know, I, 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 I got to talk with a former FBI negotiator who asked me a bunch of different questions and she's like, this is what makes you tick. And I was like, you're right, that is what makes me tick. So What a unique experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... I wasn't holding hostages just for, you know, clarity. She was... She was with a nonprofit helping me on stuff but uh did you ever get stuck you know wanting to wear that hat after you retired was that hard for you to let go it's it's hard to let go of of the EOD hat it's so built into my muscle memory um and to a point for a good cause is like if I did not get this right, the consequences of making a mistake are catastrophic. And I had multiple examples to my left and right that what can happen if things go bad. The people on my arm, the tattoos, are a constant reminder of the severity of those consequences. So, you know... I, I still wear that hat to a point, but it's it's taken me years to not refer to myself as an EOD tech all the time. Like people ask me for like a podcast or you know this and that. I don't really have a title. I'm just Mario. You know, I'm not a CEO. I'm not you know the head leader of this or that. Uh, like now, I'm at the point where the hat that I want to wear, I'm just Mario. That's it. And that's that comes from me kind of boiling down what was underneath all those hats. So that's that's your purpose. My purpose my fundamental purpose is to protect life. Uh that is through that negotiator that I was talking. That's kind of where we ended up is my my purpose in life is to is to protect it, to protect life. 
Now that's a very broad purpose. How does that manifest in the daily life? Could I become a police officer, civilian bomb squad, um, you know, an EMT or stuff like that? Yeah, I can do that. But I also look for opportunities to do little, to do big things in little ways to help protect that life. Yeah, you just kind of had me kind of have my own epiphany just hearing you. The identity and purpose are closely related, okay? The identity is a bit more obvious. It is the hat, right? It, sometimes it's a uniform. Sometimes it's a patch. Yeah. It's obvious. The purpose is a little bit less obvious, harder to find, but ultimately the purpose can be transferred to any identity. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's transferable. It transcends everything. So it's almost like you can get tied up in the identity, but if you don't know what your purpose is, you don't know how to pivot and, and where to shift. But the reality is you've done it. You've done it with Project Felix, right? You've, you've paved your path of purpose of protecting life and you've taken off the EOD hat, but you found other ways to protect life. You protect life through the incredible talks on Project Felix. You protect life through protecting your family. And you protect life through making the pilgrimage down here <laughs> every year to be here for your EOD brothers and sisters. Yeah. You found your purpose and it has, you know, elevated your identity and transcended anything, any hat that you've ever could have worn. Yeah. 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 It's a. Uh it's, it's been a long road uh, full of ups and downs and stuff. Um, but once once I, once once an individual gets to a point where they kind of know they they know what drives them. They know in a healthy manner, you know. They know kind of what their purpose is or they get a good direction. Whatever path they go on, as long as it lines up with that, I think that's where uh, good things happen, essentially. Like, if your purpose is to, I don't know, work with animals and then you decide to become a business person or this and that, you're, you're concentrating on making money, that's that's incongruent with your purpose. So, Absolutely. Well, Mario, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Um, you know, before you sat down here, you were a complete stranger. You're just a cool dude with a beard. You know, what I'm I got a trim today as well. So, brother, it looks, it's looking majestic. Thank you. Is the word I would give it. But Mario, it's been such a pleasure and an honor hearing your insight, hearing your story, and I know so many people are going to be touched and educated and empowered with just the 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 way you view life and, and your journey and how you got to where you're at today. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on Hero Front and having this amazing conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. That was the hero's journey of Mario Kovac. And we're out. <laughs>